Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. CR Community Radio, and you're listening to Freedom of Species. My name is Andy, Andy Medic, and we have a very, very interesting show for you today. Uh, on the panel, we have a full panel today. We have myself and Roy, Roy Taylor. Hello. We have Adam. G'day. And as a special guest, we have Justine Curatolo, who has just returned from Zimbabwe, where she got up to some very amazing things over there. Hello. What we're going to do is also cover a number of the issues this afternoon that uh, have been affecting animals in Melbourne and Victoria, as well as around Australia. There'll be some news about those developments a bit later on as well. But I think at the moment, Roy, we're talking about going into a little bit of music to start with, and then we'll get stuck into everything. Um, yeah, let's... Oh, I just wondered, and um, we've got Adam in the studio, and before we go to some music, I was wondering if we could introduce... Adam, Adam's been on this show once before, but now you've joined the team officially, yes? I have, and I'm very much looking forward to it too, to get started after I've finished the training. So, um, well, uh, tell listeners about the training. It's not that you can't just let any old idiot on freedom of species, can they? What, what's, <laughs> what's the training that we do? So there's um, eight weeks of training every Wednesday night I'm doing it um, for a number of hours, and we get to learn how the panel works. It's not just a simple thing of switching some um, buttons and things. So we learn how the panel works. We learn some of the legal things around um, 3CR and broadcasting live on radio and um, and how to set up a good radio show. So I'm in my, it's the third week of the training and I'm getting very excited to start and do my first show. That's great. I remember when I first started on the uh, radio, I was very nerve-wracking the first time I went on air. And then it became much more nerve-wracking the second, the first time I ever dropped the iPod on the floor <laughs> during live radio, and we're trying to, we just got some music as soon as we picked the iPod, iPad off the floor, and we're able to plug it in again. So. Oh, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I came on several times as a guest, and there, the pressure just isn't there, is it? You come in and you, you, you get asked the questions and this sort of thing, and you know your subject, and it's wonderful. Yes, yes, this is all fine, and then suddenly you're on the other side. And you're confronted with all this technology and all the rest of it, and you go, oh, my God. That's right. And the professionalism at 3CR is quite critical. It's a critical standard to maintain it. Should we talk about some of the activism that's going on in Melbourne at the moment? Sounds good. Oh, turning the music off again. (laughs) So, um, I know, Andy, you were doing a protest the other night, yeah? Yeah, yeah. We had one uh, down in Geelong outside Beckley Park, which is the home of Greyhound Racing in the Geelong area. And... uh, 
not necessarily a lot of people know that Geelong is one of the major areas for greyhound racing, training and breeding in the state of Victoria. Um, several of the trainers and breeders that have been received life bans or have been under investigation have come from the Geelong region. And the Geelong Gold Cup, which was the jewel in the crown of that area, was held um, on Friday night. Uh Tens of thousands of dollars um, up to, I think it's, I think it's actually ended up being in excess of $100,000 was spent on advertising. It was meant to be the primary event. You know, they had uh, full-page colour ads in the papers. Uh, commercial radio had ads everywhere mm. coming on all the time. Um, it was just everywhere. There was uh, TV ads in regional areas as well. And is this, do you think this is a um, react? Do they normally do that much promotion? Or is no, th- no, no. And, and and the thing is that it was promoted as being such a family event as well. There were gap rescue dogs there being paraded around to say, mm. look, look what wonderful pets and uh, that they make. Um, they had an ACDC cover band. The idea was to get families in and say, look, this is the type of racing that you as a, a family can be involved in. It's all friendly and everything yeah. like that. It didn't work. Really? The car park was probably less than a quarter full. Okay. Um, and it was a flop. And, and this is the major race of – is this the major race of the year? Or? No, no, no. There is the the Melbourne Cup, which is the richest one. So, no, for Greyhound Racing. Yeah, for Greyhound Racing. There's a Melbourne Cup. There is Grey- a Melbourne Cup for Greyhound okay. Racing as well. I know nothing about Greyhound Racing, <laughs> but they kill dogs and I hate it. So, Well, well it was interesting. I think they got um, – the timing couldn't have actually been worse for them because on the Thursday there was the release of the Greyhound Racing mm. Victoria's own figures on how many dogs were killed in the reporting period of the previous 12 months, 15, 2015 to 16. And that was 3,014 dogs were euthanised by vets either at the track or in the vets themselves. And for a variety oh, so of that, reasons. That's, that's it, 3,014. And that's in Victoria? That's just... just in Victoria. In New South Wales it was over 4,000. I don't have the figures for the other states, but there are... Now that's at vets and at the track. That's right. But these are also... And the thing that has to be remembered about greyhounds as well is that they, they, the names are registered when they're, they're taking them to race, right? That, that's how they do it. So these are registered greyhounds. Right, so this doesn't account for the pups that didn't make the grade; they weren't fast enough. Yeah. So they got knocked on the head. It doesn't account for the ones that have reached retirement age, and have been deemed superfluous by the the trainers and the breeders of like you know, well they're, they're past their use by date basically. These are only the animals that have registered that these guys are prepared to admit to. Right. Which is still an extraordinary yeah. wasn't, number. Wasn't the number was like three thousand four hundred that had been registered, and three thousand of them have since been killed? That's so right. Yeah, and for that's an extraordinary amazing. number of them for that's minor injuries as well, like, like broken, broken toe, yeah. or, or, or uh, uh, they might have had to. It's, in any other dog, you might have taken off a piece of the tail because a bit of the tail might have been broken. You know, so yeah. The, but they were, they euthanized them. And it doesn't also include the number of dogs that were taken to the vets and bled out because greyhound blood can be used for transfusion. Hang on, right, see, I knew they bleed the dogs, but surely that comes in a euthanasia, comes under euthanasia figures, doesn't it? It doesn't come under the ones that they release for the racing Mm. area. Really? No. No. But they're killing them when they bleed them out? Yes. But that doesn't come under euthanasia? That doesn't come under killing them? No, it doesn't come under the the figures that they keep for the racing area. Why? Because they transferred them to... The blood bank. They're not a registered. They're not a registered dog, dog, at, dog at that point. Mm. Oh. So you have no real way of determining 
how many dogs are actually killed over any given 12 month period other than estimations of what you receive from people within the industry and we know from the investigations that have taken place in other states and in Victoria that those are figures in the tens of thousands it's just horrendous absolutely horrendous and look I like everyone else I'm absolutely mortified at the decision of the Baird government to to reverse their decision to ban greyhound racing but no one should be under any illusions that that was not a political decision. He risked losing the leadership of the Liberal Party in New South Wales and the Nats were prepared to walk away from the coalition and to sack their leader as well. Wow. So that was... Uh, and that's why he had to... And that's why he recanted. Absolutely. The but statement that he made... significant pressure. And, it, I mean, hats off to him to some extent to go that far. Yes. Unless that was his... Unless you don't think he planned to recount. No. No, I don't think so. But it's it's an extraordinary... He's a, he's a juxtaposition of a fellow because on the one hand you had him saying that and, and the statement that he actually made where he said, you know, that they've lost their moral licence. Well, they never had one to start with. Greyhound racing, just like horse racing of all types, wherever you've got betting on animals, it, it, it's a, an industry that's had as its core. It's built on a foundation of the exploitation and death of animals for profit. I don't think they're talking about an objective morality. I think they're talking about public perception of it being moral. Well, that, that's true too. He um, was handled by, was it Fairfax Media or absolutely. whatever, who have actually got a stake in a gambling company, and that was one of the things that they uncovered. Really? So there yeah. was actually a massive conflict of interest. Yep. Wow. Alan Jones was mm. merciless as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, well, they, because that media, I think it was Fairfax, yes, yeah. so they just bought an online gaming a, a gambling agency, so they were set to lose money from it if, it, mm. if they did, you know, ban it. Mm. it's dirty, it's really, really yeah. dirty. And, and then you get the situation where the New South Wales government as well, though, under him, have also just gotten rid of the need to get a licence to kill native wildlife yes. on farmland. Mm. Yeah. So it, it brings into play, like, farmers are going to be able to, or and other hunters, I presume, are going to be able to go and hunt greater excess, you know, coloured kangaroos and, and other native wildlife if they deem them to be in uh, conflict of interest to their, their enterprise. Ultimately, it comes down the same as in Victoria and Australia-wide. It's a massive conflict of interest between the Department of Agriculture managing agricultural industry and also animal welfare. I mean, mm. Jala Pulford is the Minister for Agricultural Industry, but she's also the Minister for Animal Welfare. Mm. And it's really obvious that animal welfare is a second uh, priority for them. Even on their website, it's really, really clear. So mm. it just yeah. doesn't make sense. So you've also got the mm. – and, and it's it's great that you've mentioned Jala Pulford as well there because we did have a statement from her as well this week, a re- the reintroduction of the wild dog bounty um, going from also from $100 to $120, which will set loose a whole heap of hunters as well um, who supposedly – some are supposed to be professional shooters who were just going to go out there now and they'll shoot anything that resembles a dog. And we know that the dingo, the apex predator, is going to be the loser in, in this – and, and I mean, these guys don't, they're, they're not, um, and I hate to use these sort of terms, they're not professional killers for the most part. They don't go for what's supposedly headshots and stuff like that. These guys are paid yeah. on the scalped hide of whatever they produce. So, so they're getting $120 for producing a scalp. So there's no way to know how they killed that animal, whether it suffered or not. Exactly, exactly. And and 
I mean, we've had several shows before and we've all known and, and talked about, and it's widely uh, known and talked about within the animal rights and animal activist community, the need to have the dingo as the apex predator in Australia. We, we've talked about at length its familial hierarchies, the, the structures and how it controls the environment, how it controls pests, all those sorts of things. We put ourselves in a situation, and this is we're talking about in Victoria, we're talking about an animal that is actually protected, except where it comes into conflict with farmland. Yeah. So, Livestock. Absolutely. Yeah. And the, the wild dog is being blamed for, I think it's they're saying, they're quoting figures around $18 million worth of stock losses every year. Well, if you leave the dingo alone and you stop also... Now, the other thing about this as well with the dog bounty, this is on top of a enlarged um, 1080 aerial baiting program in the Gippsland area. Now, a dingo is going to come along. It doesn't tell the difference between a bait and anything else. It, it can't tell. It, it's indiscriminate. This this disgusting poison is going to kill even more animals. Which is illegal in some countries, isn't it? It is. Australia and New Zealand are the two largest consumers of 1080 poison in the world. We um, we account for over 80% of the, the world use of it. So we're doing something wrong when a country such as, and I don't mean to denigrate anyone, but a country with um, uh, agricultural practices that are supposedly well behind ours, such as China and, and, and India, have actually banned this poison. And they've banned them on animal cruelty grounds. Really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and just, um, it, what a grim week for dogs, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Proud. Yeah. Um, how was the demo on Friday? It was great. We had, we had about um, 20 people there. Okay. Um, the the Western Region guys for the AJP are always fantastic like that. They they turn up to all of these things when we have them. They're they're extremely dedicated. Yeah. A uh, number of people made their way down from Ballarat as well. So hi to those guys. Thanks for coming. <laughs> um, yeah. Look, there's, and I suppose when we when we look at this week and we look at this past month, I mean, Justine and I were in the foyer talking before about how it, it's been a real crap week. You know, there's been so many horrible things going on, and. When you turn up to a protest or an action like that and you see the dedication and the enthusiasm of these people and then you start to talk to other people when you go out at night and, and, and see, you know, the, the public support against these horrible actions and mm. things going on are incredible. And if you come back to that Geelong Gold Cup with the, there's so few people turning up, the Martin Pakula as the racing minister has, he, he's really got to start paying attention to the fact that the, the bulk of the Victorian public don't want greyhound racing. They don't want these cruel sports to continue on. And if they ignore public sentiment, they're going to do so at their peril at the next election. Yeah. We'll have to... Well, we've got to talk to Justine, but first... <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm That's gonna, it, I'm done. I'm <laughs> I want to hear about Justine's stories, but... Um, first, I just want to prom- promote my own projects so, uh, or projects that I'm involved in at the moment. Coalition Protection of Racehorses, because it's that weekend of the year. Spring Racing Carnival is here. So the CPR had a demo yesterday. And not only that, CPR is busy stenciling backs of car windows with uh, Is the Party Really Worth It? Horseracingkills.com. I had my car stenciled last year and I got a few toots, so that was good. So. Fantastic. Have you got yours done yet? No, I haven't got it done yet. Are you outside? Yeah. Oh, it looks like I'll be doing it after this. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, 
Uh, I, I did. I, I was up in Queensland for the Animal Activist Forum a couple of weeks ago. I did ten cars whilst I was up there in the car park. So, uh, and we've been <laughs> doing a lot more around Victoria the last few weeks. Uh, but also, we've been doing some uh, projections as mm. well, um, which have been showing up on Facebook, and mm. that's something that came out of the Animal Activist Forum. Um, they look great. Yes, yeah, really good. Mm. So there was a, a group at the Animal Activist Forum uh, wanting to volunteer their projection services to animal groups. I said, all right, we'll recruit them for CPR. So uh, that campaign's already started. And then the big demo is tomorrow. And that is part of the, well, that is done, uh, a protest against the racing industry and their disregard for the welfare, well-being and rights of horses. And that's on Swanston Street tomorrow. Um, look for the banners near Fed Square. What time? Crikey, I should know because I'm organising it. Um, typically 12, but what happens is I, we get there early because the barriers go up mm. from one side to the screen because they close off Swanston Street. Mm. So typically we're on the Fed Square side of the street. So if you can get there to join us, we want everyone that can be there to join Coalition for the Protection of Racehorses tomorrow. Just before 12, really, um, ideally kind of 11, 11 o'clock, um, to uh, express our feelings about the Spring Racing Carnival, jumps racing, wastage, use of the whip, and racing two-year-olds. Um, it's always a big demo. We're also always doing something different. Mm. The racing industry's always annoyed to see us there. Um, ever since we started, they've now they've hired a band to yeah. drown, drown out our chat, <laughs> our megaphones. But I let them assure us I can shout pretty loud even yeah. without a megaphone. So anyone that wants to come along tomorrow, um, that is um, uh, Swanson Street at Fed Square around about half past eleven until one o'clock. But any time you come, if you're working in the city, I'm sure you can take a long lunch or even normal lunch and get to us and join the demo. Um, very peaceful demo, but um, we made a lot of uh, noise and we express our feelings about the racing industry and what they do to horses. Wonderful. And then on Tuesday, Farshans on the Field, we are, we are expanding our Nup to the Cup picnic, which is held at the little park next to Kensington Bowls Club near, uh, near Flemington Racecourse Main Entrance. Um, uh, with another group uh, with uh, fashion parades. Mm. Farshans on the Field is the name of it. I've not been involved in organising this this year, but it looks like it's going to be a bigger event than ever before. Mm. So that's basically a picnic. Turn up, it's a picnic, but should a horse dies, we might do a protest as well if a horse dies on the day. So it's kind of, we've called it a picnic and protest in the past. Today, it's going to, uh, on Tuesday, it's going to, it looks like it's going to be a picnic plus fashion parade as well. So a bigger event, it is certainly growing. Hopefully we'll make some people think. We'll make some people think. What we're going to do now is go to a community announcement, and then we're going to talk to Justine. Hi, it's Patty Mark from Animal Liberation Victoria on 3CR Community Radio, 8.55 a.m. I love community radio. It's so important we keep an independent voice out there, not only for the animals, but for all humans, for the environment. And make sure you listen to Freedom of Species. It's animal activism on the airways. Hello, you're listening to Freedom of Species. <laughs> this is Freedom of Species on 3CR Radio, 855 AM. And in the studio today, we've got our guest, Justine Curatello, 
who has just come back from some very exciting animal activism. Yeah, what was, have you been doing then? It was brilliant. So um, in about May, I went to a talk. It just happened. I just heard about it. Um, his name Damien Mander. He's the CEO. He's an Australian guy of uh, International Anti-Poaching Foundation. It's based in Africa. And there's a couple of camps and one in Zimbabwe. And the talk was brilliant. And by the end of it, he goes, who wants to come to Africa? And I put my hand up. And then three months later, I was in Zimbabwe. So it was... Wow. It was pretty, it was a pretty quick ride actually. But what happened was I went to um, I went to the reserve, which is in Victoria Falls in Zimbabwe. It's a private reserve, but IAPF manage the animals on it and that kind of stuff. And so they're responsible for the um, the care and protection and all that kind the conservation of it. So it's really really interesting. Poaching is a big deal, as you know, in, in worldwide, but in Africa and especially through the large species like rhinos and elephants and stuff like that. And, you know, the numbers are decreasing significantly and it's because the dollar value placed on the horn and the ivory. So like the people, the rangers were explaining to us, the type of poachers who are coming in are not your local guys with a knife or with a gun. These are really experienced, highly organised criminals, very, very dangerous, shoot to kill straight away. So this is why being a ranger is so important and what they do is so dangerous. So all of our rangers are armed, but they're nowhere near as well funded as some of these poachers are. So um, the purpose of us going over there as volunteers is for our money to help them in what they do and also for us to come back and help uh, sh- you know, share the experience, spread the word and stuff like that. So do you want me to talk a little bit about some of the things I did? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yep. So it was really... Can I, can I just ask, have you, ever, have you got much experience Dealing with armed groups. In the, <laughs> no. You, know, you live only, in the western suburbs. But. <laughs> only by watching Blood Diamond on the, on the movies. But no, it was never, I'd, I'd never encountered, you know, what it was like. So um, it was it was really exciting. It was really full on. It was hot. It was 38 degrees every day. So we went over at the time, you know, when you see on TV where it's really dry, mm. there's hardly any grass and stuff like that. So yeah. it turned out that that was actually a really, really good time to go because um, you could see everything. So when the grass grows really long and it's really thick and green sort of around March, you can't see anything, so you can't see the animals and you don't know what's behind you. And it's actually it's actually really um, – it's not the best time to travel according, you know, to what the rangers said. So it was really easy for us to see a lot of animals and obviously because there are a lot hanging around the water holes and they would come around the water holes and stuff like that. So what we did, um, we would go out for um, patrol in the morning with the rangers. So – and it's really, really interesting. So, And we did training and they explained to us the reason for the patrol and how it works and stuff. So it's not just like you're just walking around, you know, one side of the um, property and stuff like that just because that's what you do. What they do, it's really complicated and sophisticated and it's brilliant, um, is they track the rhinos of like because that's the most important animal on the property. So they track the rhinos of where they went last night and then – We've got about three different groups on patrol and then they all sort of follow the tracks of the rhinos from the night before just to make sure um, that they're still okay in the morning. So whilst we here as, as volunteers didn't see the rhinos some of the time, the rangers were ticking off in their notebook saying, oh, look, he's come back here this morning so we know he's okay. Mm. It's kind of oh, stuff, right? right? Okay, yeah. So it's really, really interesting and then obviously they're checking, you know, we learnt all kinds of all all about like an, different types of animal shit and stuff like that and I don't know if um and I was warned before I went over so everyone told me be careful they're going to make you eat the animal shit they're going to make you eat because that's what you know that's a trick it's like Australians with drop bears right yeah. so yeah so but anyway we, we didn't fall for it but so it's really interesting so while we're walking around and we're the volunteers we're 
slowly dying because it's 38 degrees and we're all covered up and it's <laughs> and we've been walking for three hours because they're long patrols. These mm. guys are so fit. Um, they're ticking off in the notebooks and they're making mental notes and stuff like that about who went here and who crossed who and they're looking at the paths and they're explaining us. So you see this footprint here and then they come and say, and, and see this one that's crossed it? This is a night animal. So this means that this rhino came this way last night and then they've had the night um, nocturnal animal cross it at night time. So All right, clever. It is really clever. And they can tell the difference between the males and females. So, for example, males have, I think it's, um, they have the longer footprints and the females have the round ones. So um, they can do all that kind of stuff. So, And they know, like, um, like for example, there's 13 rhinos there, so they know they've all got slightly different um, pads on their feet. Not all of them, but they can tell this one's got a dint here so they can track this one. Yeah. So it's really, really interesting. So we would go on patrols in the morning, come back and have a rest because it's, it's really hot over lunchtime, obviously, and then in the afternoon we'd do another activity. So we'd either go on a small patrol or... You know, we do some of the work around the property, like help fix the fence and dig holes and all that kind of stuff. So, um, it w- sounds like hard work. It, it oh, was yeah. it was hard, but you're you're in the moment and you're there and you're just doing it. Yeah. But um, the yeah. rangers are so fit; they're doing three two three hour patrols a day. Plus, they have to do physical um, uh, PT, like training and exercise. Yeah, oh, so, really. So how long were you there for? Three weeks. Three weeks, and. When you were on patrol or when, you know, say you would get up in the morning, for instance, from the night patrols or whatever, was there any evidence of poaching? Uh, um, So from my three weeks there, so we would do, one of the other things we would do is snare sweeps. So we would do that sort of once every week or once every two weeks, right? I mean, that's just what my experience was. Obviously, we're looking out for it all the time. But yeah, so we did find a number of snares a couple of times. But this reserve, the one that I was at, Stanley and Livingston, so that's 12,000 acres, so it's big, mm. but it's not massive compared to some of the other ones. So uh, these rangers are really well trained, so they're able to pick things up regularly. But, yeah, we still found snares while we were there. And what happened was the week that I'd left, on the fourth week, yeah, they caught a poacher on the fourth week. So, But what happened is quite common is because the economy is really bad in Zimbabwe as it is across Africa, right? So it's really common for uh, local people to come in and poach fish. So the guy they caught was a fish poacher. Okay. And what happens is, and this is how they're explaining why it's important to catch them, because they start with fish and then they go, oh, this was easy, we got away with it. We learned how to get in, how to get out. So the next time they catch um, like a, um impala or something mm-hmm. like that, and then it just sort of goes up and up like that. So, um, But it turns out this guy was actually an employee of the hotel on the property. And that's not uncommon either because they couldn't work out... Oh, there's a hotel on the reserve. Right, sort of down that very end. Okay. And that's how that reserve um, is financially sustainable right. in some parts, right? But IAPF need money to improve their security and the things that they do to um, look after the animals. Because one of the things they do with IAPF, and it's quite successful so far, is they dehorn all their rhinos mm-hmm. and they make it known that that's what they do. But when you dehorn a rhino, it's a really expensive process. So they've got to dart them and they've got to do that by helicopter. And they can't have the rhino out for too long because they can't lie down for too long because it does internal damage. So they, it's got to be done really quickly. And then the horn grows back again within three years. Oh. And if the rhino's with calf, uh, you have to try and get either get, depends how old the calf is, you have to get both of them or you just can't do it at the time. So oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So... It's a really, really expensive process to dehorn them, which is why, um, and like I said, these guys here, they track the rhino so they can sort of manage them, but that's why it's really hard. They can't do it in places like Kruger and things like that. 
So you mentioned that um, the poachers will learn how to get in and out and not get caught and then yeah. sort of um, move up the animal, what they take. Mm. Uh, how is the how is the property sort of blocked off? I can't imagine there's fences around yeah, such a large... There's a fence there around is, the yeah. whole so property. Because wow. it's private property. So it's got about, uh, you imagine, it's probably about 10 different wires, like... Um, it's got the wooden post and then it's got about 10 different wires up and every second wire is electrified. So so what happens is, and so it's got um, Botswana National Park on one side and then it's got villages and stuff down the back. So the important thing is to have good relationships with the villagers and um, those sorts of uh, groups because that way they can manage who, because the poachers will always come through the village, obviously, because then, you know, so, um, so they've got good relations with uh, the villagers to sort of, monitor that side but yeah so that's why it's really important so like i said one group of the there's 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 two people i think who patrol the fence every single day who check the fence every single day so and that's one of the responsibilities of the rangers as well and we've got to look for break-ins and you know Mm. abnormalities in the fence and things like that and we found them so and then um quite often it's two as animals coming in and out so yeah there's no issue with animals going between properties but there is an issue with um, elephants and especially rhinos because rhinos technically belong to the government, so you have to account for all the rhinos on your property. So how do the animals get in and out if there's a big fence? So they dig underneath. Oh, right, and okay. then we And we saw this giraffe. It was really naughty. We, oh, we saw it twice, actually. We saw a giraffe. What the giraffe did was on that day there was a blackout, right? So there was no electricity in the fence. So the, it just did what a horse did. It stood on its back feet put its front feet over the fence and just um, pushed it over and got oh, over it like that. Wow. So that was really naughty. And then we saw the elephant. The elephants are really clever. So the fence goes into the dam and because the dam was really low because, the, you know, it was dry season, it, like, tested it with its trunk and then it walks around the water part of the fence to get into the other property. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. so it was really, it was really, really interesting. But they'd come back by morning because the, um, like, uh, the rangers were explaining, elephants are, love their family and they love... Staying, you know, with their friends. In a so group. They, yeah, they always come back. Ah, so if one goes into the reserve and the rest don't, it will come out again. They usually, uh, well, from what I understand, they usually follow what the females do. So mm-hmm. you know, if all the females and stuff are still there, they'll always come back. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's from what I understand. And and you were saying before about how um, they they caught the guy who was poaching fish. Mm. So on a scale of um, if um, say that's the the lightest misdemeanor, mm. and then you have someone who will say shoot a rhino or mm. an elephant, what sort of penalties do they have? So IAPF have worked really hard with the governments in the area. So they've got a good relationship with the Zimbabwe government and Mozambique is where they're working really hard. And so the penalties have increased. So at this reserve in Livingston, they've actually got two permanent police officers there. So that way that's how much more serious the law is taking it. So um, I can't remember what the jail time is, but it's not... I think about five years ago it was only like six months or something like that if you killed a rhino, but nowadays it's like about 15, 20 years. Okay. So it's a lot more serious. So wow. the penalties are a lot more serious, but, you know, you've got to put it in context. You're talking about people that got no money and they're getting yeah, offered, yeah. You, yeah. Know, yeah. you know, 10 years worth of income. Yeah. It's, it's not always a huge deterrent. Yeah. But the rangers are, and this is what I learned over there, so the rangers' guns... They've got guns. It's not to kill the animals, it's to kill humans. Mm. So I didn't realise that. I thought it was, you know, that if they need to shoot. Oh, self-protection. They're allowed to shoot on sight. Okay. Wow. Because yeah, that, that was where I was sort of trying to lead to. Because I know it's, um, I'm not sure, but it's another African country. It might be Ethiopia, I think, where that's they've, they've had that on 60 Minutes or something or other, where 
they, they were on patrol with these guys and, and yeah, that's what they did. They on site. They were so, catching poachers and shooting them. Well, so we weren't allowed to go anywhere without... I mean, obviously in the camp it was fine, but, yeah, we couldn't go anywhere without a ranger or without mm. our guide who always had a loaded gun at the time, So, which was good because, um, you know, it was... It was, yeah, it, it was pretty full on hearing all the stories and stuff like that. And while we were there, the worst time of all is the full moon because in, in Africa, in these reserves, it's there's no light pollution, so it's so clear, right? So when it's a full moon, it's so bright. You don't need to torture or anything. It's so bright and it's so clear. And this is when the poachers come. So mm-hmm. um, we did a lot of night patrols. We did night, night patrols leading up to the full moon, on the full moon and afterwards. And you've got, like, overt and covert operations as well operating simultaneously. And that's when, um, you know, these poachers come prepared. So we did some training. They are teaching us what poachers do. They come with their own soap. They come with these disposable phone cards and everything like that. It's really because they're planning on staying there for a good couple of days until they can find the rhino and track it. You don't, like, come in and then leave. Mm. You have to come in for a good three or four days sometimes. Right, okay. So they're there. So they're camping, essentially. So that's what the rangers are looking for as well. And camping on the reserve. Absolutely. So that's the other thing that the rangers are looking for when they're patrolling signs that the people have been camping there. So like campfires and stuff like that. It's not even that obvious, but it is, yeah. But the signs of like people have thrown, you know, rubbish or have used. mm. And you you mentioned that this can sometimes be, is it local people that are doing this? Is it people that um, have economic hardship and are choosing to do this? Or are they coming from other places and they have experience in poaching it's no longer the local poor black farmer and that's the message iapf are trying to get across because people feel sorry for them it's not that anymore these are really highly organized criminals so yeah they will get some local guides who know the area who know how to do it but essentially it's all run by highly organized criminals you know it's a lot to do with like the local um the local war and stuff like that because these are they're highly organized criminals with mafia links and all that kind of stuff organized crime I suppose yeah. it's it's driven by a, a big economic payoff at the end. It is, absolutely. Can, so there's yeah. been a whole lot. When you do, like, you go to IAPF website or other, you know, you do searches and stuff like that, you find that there's the people they've arrested, they've uncovered the links between organised crime. So this is people who are engaged in child trafficking, all this mm. kind of stuff as well. These are serious people with serious money. Mm. Um and so some of the other things we did, we did um, – so obviously they look after – they've got a – they look after the rhinos and, you know, we they feed some of the rhinos as well. So they put food out so at night time just to keep their health up because they're so important and stuff like that because it's so dry. So like at night we'd get to watch them while they feed the rhinos and we see all the babies come up and stuff. So oh, that, wow. that was really cool. And we were really lucky with um, some of the stuff we did, like especially at night when we did game night drives and stuff because – we got to see a whole lot of elephants and we got to stop and the elephants came around us and would eat around us. And as long as we were careful and, you know, stood still, it was okay. So, but um, our guide, our guides were brilliant and our rangers and we always, we're really respectful of the, you know, the natural environment and it's, this is their home and all that kind of stuff. So it was never about being tourists or whatever. It was just about being with the animals and getting to observe them in the natural environment and, we will never ever get experience like that, you know. How many people were in the group that you went with? So in my group, we had three. Vol- well, I was there for three. Weeks. So the first two groups was me and two other volunteers, and then the, in the second group was me and three other volunteers. So what countries were they from? So the first one was uh, me, an American, and English, and an English guy. Okay. And the second one was me, another Australian, and two American girls. So and did um, they have similar motivations for going as you did? So. I was lucky. So both two groups, yes, they were pretty much animal rights people, right? But um, 
There's a lot because Damien Mand is an ex, and his his background is really interesting. It's really worth reading about. But so he's an ex military guy. So he because of that and because of his background, he attracts a lot of military people there as well. Okay. But he's also a vegan. So he and because of that, he attracts a lot of animal rights people. So sometimes. Mm-hmm. When you get a group, which is what my friend did recently, you get a clash between the military people and the vegans who are on the same group together. So <laughs> yeah, it's quite a difference. Yeah, isn't it? so that's why the Rangers and Pickett, he's the game, he's the actual manager. They're really good at what they do about making everyone feel inclusive and okay and safe and stuff like that. So there's a lot of politics as well with yeah. the local government, mm. and it's really. Damien presented at the Animal Activist Forum a couple oh, of weeks ago. Did he? He's, he's brilliant. We had him by, we've tried to get him before, but. Internet from wherever he was yeah. has been too ropey, and we've lost him on the day. But yeah. we got him to speak this time, and it was a really good presentation. Um, but he did say he gets a. He said something like, "There isn't a week but goes by where he doesn't get a contact from a special forces person yeah. somewhere in the world more experienced than him wanting to join." Yeah. And national governments are not particularly enthusiastic about having armed special ex-special yeah. forces people wandering well, around their countries yeah. yeah yeah well that's right and we were doing some of the training we did was camouflage training and stuff like that and Pickett was telling us a story about you know a guy who brought in you know camouflage gear and he said oh you're lucky you got past airports because they don't let you get through with that sort of stuff so you know there's a lot of tension politically and I understand that you know what I mean so we we just got to be careful about that but um yeah the military guys and when you read the when you read blogs or comments and stuff like that, there's a lot of military people that want to help and do... Because it's, it's what it is. It's turning into a military thing. The guys who are... The poachers also have really um, strong military backgrounds and stuff like that. And yeah. it's just... Mm-hmm. So military techniques works well against trying to catch them. Yeah. And is there any sort of like evidence of um, government corruption and involvement with the, the crime gangs that are... In, involved in setting up the poaching? Of course. I mean, it's Africa. There's, there's, it happens all mm. the time, I think. But, you know, um, but there, when I was there, and it's it's in the news, so it's quite well publicised, at South Africa Kruger Park, they one of the game, uh, the rangers there just got uncovered to being a really, um, being a poacher as well, like feeding the poachers information. And mm. this is oh, where... Oh, really? Yeah. And so this, you know, they check in these guys all the time and stuff like that. But this is, this was, this was, was it? I think it was while I was there because the guys were telling me at the time they couldn't believe it that, you know, this is what he did. And the rangers, what they do, they don't get paid very much, but they work their asses off. They work so hard. So what they do, they do for the love of the job because yeah. it is really hard and it is dangerous. It's really yeah, dangerous. definitely. It's not just from poachers, but it's from mm. the animals as well. So I've been to the Kruger as a tourist in mm. the, many years ago. I'm surprised the the poaching is going on in South Africa because as far as Africa goes, it's relatively wealthy country yeah i mean yeah but this is what iopf have done so i was in zimbabwe but iopf also have a camp in mozambique and that's actually really dangerous because there's a civil war and stuff yeah. going on there but they patrol the back of kruger national park because that's how all the oh, poachers are the getting border, in. yeah so mm. they're not coming in through the front of kruger national park they're all coming in through the back of mozambique right. yeah and that's where um iopf use a lot of the military tactics there to catch them and to try and patrol the border so it's really, it's really interesting. So. so it sounds like IAPF are really on, I think the term I've heard is the thin green line yes. of animal protection in the wild. Are there other things happening to um, mitigate the 
demand for these for the tusks and the horns of yeah. rhinos and elephants? So the way I understand it and the way Damien explained it and the, the rangers explained it, so there's different levels. So this was level one, so this was dealing frontline, right? Mm. And then there's other groups and, you know, you catch the poacher, then, you know, you put in the penalties and then you'll catch the second person and then you catch the third person who's organising it all, right? And then you're also working with other agencies who can try and, change the perception and the demand and stuff for it overseas but this is yeah well we had um a couple of weeks ago and there was a show with emma and grace that was in here when we were talking with the, i can't remember the lady's name forgive me please um and she was working with an organization in asia where that was exactly what they were doing they were yeah. trying to educate and reduce the demand where it's at a point now where um in a lot of instances, it's it's wealthy businessmen or yeah. as, more so much aspiring businessmen in these countries yeah. taking uh, the prospective clients out and showing them, look, I'm someone you want to do business with. Here yeah. am I, and I'm shaving this bit of rhino horn on the top of your alcoholic drink, you know, and, yeah. and mm. this just to prove that I'm someone you should deal with. And they're trying to sort of get rid of that perception through education, yeah. you know, and they've got some great ads that they run to, to try and stop it's that. Not, it's not going to change overnight, but it is. No. But, yeah, mm. there is. There's... There's different campaigns targeting different areas. So the one I was doing was targeting the level one, and meanwhile there are other organisations targeting that. But that is really hard to change, and it will change, but it's just, you know, in the meantime we've got to do what we can. But, like, even in Victoria Falls there were shops that were selling ivory, you mm. know, and, you know, rhino horn products and stuff like that because it's not, you know. So what you can do is, um, for example, so... A rhino is a product of the government, right? So if a rhino dies, you have to tell the government and you have to explain how it died and all that kind of stuff. And then you have to say what you did with the horn. So you're allowed mm. to keep the horn as part of, you know, training purposes or display purposes and things like that. So these people can get around it by saying, you know, the animal died naturally. And obviously it's a lot more complicated than that, but there are, yep. you know, technicalities mm. and things. So Oh, uh, Andy, you're thinking about our show yeah. um, with uh, that was on Breaking the Brand, which is... That's um, the one. Yeah, Dr. Yeah. Lynn... Johnson. Yeah. Uh, she founded Breaking the Brand, and that was to stop the uh, poaching of Asian rhinos. All oh, right, okay. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So I really, really recommend people who want to get involved, you know, who, who realise that this is a problem. It's it's an awesome experience. The rangers are really, really brilliant. If you think the three-hour hike, like, daily is too much for you, and it is a lot because you're going up sand dunes, rocky terrain and everything, it is really hard. There are different things you can do while you're there. So your money makes a big difference to these people. You know, the Western dollar goes a long way in Africa. So by you supporting them, it's a really good thing, you know. And if you're going along there, you get involved, you learn things, and you get to come back and share your experience. So so you went for three weeks. Mm. So what would the cost be and how would someone go about getting in touch to, to, to go on this? So... Um, I think the cost is actually quite reasonable. So for, it's about, I think it's about 600 American dollars for the week and it's Monday to Friday. So that includes your food and everything for while you're there. So when you break it down per day, that's actually, you know, really good if you were going to stay somewhere else, right? So the the money is really, really well spent. Um, at my reserve, we, we had a chef and so he's there. His name's Hope, so he's a permanent chef there. So the food is really, really good. So don't worry if you've got dietary concerns. They're used to having lots of vegans and vegetarians there, so they cook for that, which is which is a really big deal because you're going away. You don't, yeah, nothing worse than having bad food. So the food is excellent. Um, you're sleeping in tents, but you're exhausted at night, so it's okay. So, um, it's it's an awesome experience. You will never forget it. It's so good. Um, so what you can do is you can get in touch with them through the IAPF website, which is um, iapf dot uh, dot org. 
uh, just let me double check. Or I've set up a um, a GoFundMe page, which I'm hoping to raise some more money to help the help them out directly. Yes, yeah, so that's iapf.org if you want to get involved and go volunteer or donate some money to them specifically. Or alternatively, you can donate some money to my GoFundMe page, which is going to help the rangers specifically at the reserve which I was at, and I think that's on our Facebook page. Well, after after the show, we'll go and edit the Freedom of Species yeah. website, and we'll add it onto the page for the show. That'll be brilliant because just like for example, so the camp doesn't have the only electricity they've got is solar, but it's not. It's so small, and so they can't run much off it. So, for example, there's no fridge there. So, you know, the rangers have been out all day. There's no cold water for them or anything like that. And it's, and you you notice it. You really notice it. So that's one of the things that we want to try and do, help them, you know, get some money so they can get a fridge and, you know, which runs off gas and stuff like that. So, yeah. so I'm, 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 it sounds great. I mean, I've, in the past I've thought about doing Sea Shepherd. Ugh, I get seasick, you know? Yeah, <laughs> so do I. <laughs> Horrible. Yeah. Um, this sounds like uh, the is- kind of thing that, I mean, if you're going to, uh, look, if if you're an activist that is in a day to day job and you want to do something instead of just going on a holiday and lying on a beach, no, do something is, that's actually um, something memorable for your life. This is yeah? this is life changing experience. It's awesome, and there is some flexibility in there. So you know, I mean, you can do some things you can't do other things. But like, it's not a holiday. You're there to fit in with them. So if you can't mm-hmm. do what they can do, then you know you can stay back at camp and you can help, or you can help like do data entry on the computer while you're there and things like that. But it's um. It's awesome. It's like I had no idea how much I would like Africa, and since then, you know, I'm I love it, and I'll definitely be going back next year. It's just, that, that was my next yeah, question. Yeah, yeah. When, yeah. When's, when, when have you booked in yet? <laughs> no, 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 but I will be going back. It's it was it was it was so good. Yeah. So, what countries are there? What, what well, first of all, what com, do you know? What countries IAPF are active in? And secondly, do you know which countries that people can go and volunteer in, like you did? Yeah, so if you go to the website, you see they've got quite a lot of programs involved. They're heavily involved in Zimbabwe, so Ihia, which is the one I was in. There's another one in Mozambique as well, which is really important if you read about the things they do. That's where they've got the sniffer dogs and they've got the helicopter. So right. they use army techniques for that, and it's really, really interesting. And Mozambique but sounds dangerous. It, it is does, dangerous, so I don't think – I think they want to have volunteers, but I don't think volunteers get to go because of, there's a civil war and it's, it's – Yeah, it's, it's like a war, yeah. Yeah, so Mozambique is very dangerous, so – um, but you know, uh, I think they advertise it, and I think they've got. Um, I think they're the main two that they take volunteers from, but they're involved in a whole lot of other projects. And some of the things that they want to do are really, really interesting. Like if they can manage the um, the animals in some of the national parks, which when I was reading the website, it looks like one of the things that they're trying to do. But there's politics and things like that involved as well. So they don't own the park. No, these parks are owned. These are government parks, presumably. Well, this reserve is a private reserve. Oh, and that's what working with the hotel. So there's a hotel. Yes. And the hotel's a moneymaker. They've got the reserve. Um, they've got the reserve there. And they have IAPF to run the the security. The reserve, yeah. so that manage ah, right, animals okay. on the reserve. So the hotel does game drives on the reserve, yeah. yeah, right. But the IAPF run the animals and responsible for the animals on it and all that kind of stuff, which is really important. Well, I suppose that's another thing too. I mean, because we read about and we see about um, uh, other enterprises, for want of a better term, where we have uh, drugged animals. You know, oh, yeah, on game tourism. reserves yeah, yeah, no, for no, tourism no. shooting. Are there any of those in proximity? No, no. So the game reserve, I mean, game drives have their place and purpose and things like that, but you're not allowed out of the car and, you know, you drive around. So, you know, you see the animal over there or whatever. But what we're doing is different. We're hiking. So, like, we were uh, not so much hiking. We're marching, right, you know, patrolling the border. So we come across, like, um, a giraffe that was recently killed by lions. So we went up and inspected the giraffe and then, 
you know, a couple of days later when we came back, it hadn't decompo- decomposed properly. So we had to like hack it up a bit to get it to decompose and all this kind of stuff. So to get, because giraffe skin is really tough and they can't, the animals can't rip it once it's been about three or four days. So we had to hack mm. the skin and so the vultures could come back and get back into it. All oh, right, okay. So we're doing these really, really, you know, interesting things. And then, you know, we're walking and we came across... We came across two lines, actually, and we're like, oh, my God. And so we startled them. They startled us. You're walking, but you're with some. Oh, yeah, no, with the rangers, right? With the rangers. So, obviously, Mm. and we weren't expecting it because, you know, we're whatever, patrolling stuff. And then we've come across, and they're, like, just over there. And we're like, oh, my God. And everyone's like, freeze, don't move. And then the lions looked at us, and we've looked at them, and then they've taken off because, you know, that's that's what they do, So Mm. which is good. But, you know, so you don't get those experiences when when you're game driving. So... What an interesting experience! Oh, it was it was awesome, and I can't recommend it highly enough. And you're involved in something; your money goes to a good organisation, and you make a difference. Yeah, mm. I mean, I've had the experience of being in the Kruger Park once in my life at, at night. It's amazing the it experience is. to be yeah. somewhere like that, and, and I'm seriously thinking about doing this. You should; it's definitely worth it because, and you might learn have to so get much. in shape beforehand. <laughs> it, it is a lot of exercise. It is a lot of exercise. Probably do me quite a bit of good. I lost. I lost weight over there because you just, you just, yeah, you lose weight. <laughs> so it's good. Mm. Right. Well, Justine, thanks very much. Mm. So we, yeah. um, the website for International Anti-Poaching so Federation? Is, is IAPF.org. And so you can donate through them to, to go through and find out information about volunteering through them directly. Or you can go to GoFundMe um, and then type in help me help IAPF and that's my fundraising page for them. Well we'll put that link yeah, to be great. your fundraising page on our website. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, but I strongly great. encourage everyone and you know, you can get in touch with me through the the Freedom of Species Facebook page if anyone wants any more information. Sounds great. Mm. Wow, yeah. what an exciting experience. Oh, I'm just in awe. It's just <laughs> incredible. Yeah. Well, it's like we're listening to a talk and I'm I've got these images of, you know, like people sort of crouched down and going through the savannah, you know, and they've got the guns in their hand and I'm like, where are these rat bags, you know? And oh, there they are. Oh, my God. And animals everywhere. And it's like I'm just thinking this sounds like an amazing experience. It does. And, and, and like Justine says, to actually make a difference and know, like, how many times do you donate to something and you wonder, okay, does my money actually get mm. to where yeah. I'm hoping it goes? I mean, you're actually physically on the spot and you can see how your money yeah. is being spent. That is, that's uh, probably one of the most attractive things about that, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think people come back again and, you know, donate things as well. And it's just, um, yeah, it, was, it is. It's, it, was so, it was so good to be part of something and to make a difference. Mm. Everyone should go. Absolutely. <laughs> wow. <laughs> On the other hand, you can join Coalition for the Protection of Racehorses <laughs> on Swanson Street tomorrow. That has the potential to be just as dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so, uh, very interesting experience. Any community announcements for anyone before we sign out with some music? Uh, I've got nothing. I spoke about everything I wanted to okay. talk about. Uh, Adam, anything? Yeah, no, I don't have anything to um, announce this week, no. No? No, I don't think so either. Well, I'll just remind everyone about the demonstration tomorrow at Federation Square uh, along Swanson Street for Coalition Protection of Racehorses. Get in contact with us if you want your car back window stenciled with Is the Party Really Worth It? Horseracingkills.com. And then on Tuesday throughout the day, the Triangular Park connects to Kensington Bowls Club that I've forgotten the name of. We'll be having Farshans on the field, which is a picnic, possibly protest, 
Um, that was a joint group, a joint event with two groups, including Coalition Protection Racehorses, protesting throughout the day against the cruelty of horse racing. Um, for more information, go to horse racing kills. Go to horseracingkills.com. Thanks, Justine, for coming into the studio. Thanks for having me. And thanks, Andy, Adam, who's now joined the team. <laughs> thank, thank you, Roy. And we'll sign out with um, some Maslin Jones, uh, Guy Evans and Nick Turner, well beyond the point. Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.